Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. He was born in Cameroon. What was, what was Francis's life like in Cameroon? Uh, it was very tough, uh, very, very tough. But um, I do believe that that was my... That's Reg- foundation. Regardless of what happened, I mean, if I have to go back, I swear to God, I will not choose that life. Although I still believe that it's still the best life that I could have had as a kid. Even though I couldn't, I can't choose that life, it was the best, best thing for me that I needed. Your, your father was a street fighter. Is that kind of what drove you to the MMA? Is that what, I mean, how... I, Cause, I mean, he was a, he was a multiple staff. He wasn't only that aspect. First of all, I love combat. Okay. Like at my very, always, you, know, you always, at my, as far as I, as I can remember, I always love combat. You know, in, uh, in Cameroon, um, the men's ball would be like soccer, football. Okay. And, uh, I was playing football because it's for us, it's like culture. Right. You know, like, you don't have to love football to play football. Right. It's like culture stuff. Everybody, every kid play football. But it wasn't my thing. My thing was fighting. And uh, I remember <laughs> like I was asking kid around like, okay, let's try this. Let's try this. Uh, play the, the bad cop, the bad guy and the uh, good guy right. and this. And I'm like, you're too violent. You're too violent. <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you always the bigger kid? For my age? Yeah. yeah. But uh, I grew up around uh, people that were like three years older than me. Right. You know, we were going to school like I was three, three years younger, but mm-hmm. we were all the same size until like maybe the day that uh, at school they have to read our birthday mm-hmm. and people would look around like, damn, he's, there's a baby in the class. Yeah. Like, what, the, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> right? Like, because I was younger, but I was just as big as any, everyone. Right. But they, they didn't know. Right. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have three brothers and one sister. I'm the second oldest and then second older. And then my sister it is the fourth mm-hmm. out of five. 
So obviously in Cameroon, I'm assuming that you come from a, a working class family that you guys had to work. You worked, if I'm not mistaken, in the salt mine as a child. No, it's sand, sand mine. Sand mine, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I think we were even a little below the working class. Okay, you were below that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite know what below working class is, but okay, we'll go with that. Yeah, we were below working class <laughs> because uh, unlike us, me, my brother and I, uh, no other kids started to work at that age. Right. Right, like nine-year-old working in the sand quarry, what the hell can you do? I mean, like even the shovel, uh, empty shovel uh, for a nine-year-old kid was already enough, mm -hmm. right? L lucky for me, I was bigger than nine years right. old, so I could have carried that and I, I was strong. Right, so I could carry that and shovel a little bit of sand, and after go do different stuff. You know, uh, we were, we had to do that in order to sustain uh, our life to mm -hmm. to help in the house. So, yeah, I did that my entire life. So uh, later on, in my uh, later on, uh, when I we were teenager, other kids were coming, maybe around 14, 13, mm -hmm. other kids was, were now coming to do that because they feel like, okay, this is the age that they can start. But by the time we but were you, pro. But they started at 13, 14, you already been doing that oh, since we you were, were nine. So we were like the teacher, like teaching them right. how to start, how to work, right. you know, working them through everything. What I tell people is that my upbringing was kind of hard, too. But working the jobs that I had, Francis, it let me know what I didn't want to do for the rest of my life. Doing that in the sand mines, did that let you know, man, I ain't trying to do this when I get my dad's age or when I get older? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it wasn't only that. Everything that I have done in my life, I remember so many times. Uh, I haven't worked, but this was like later on. Mm -hmm. uh, I would work in the sand mine uh, because I was always concerned about my life, like future, think about my future, like, okay, what will happen at this moment? And I would work in the sand mine. I see this guy like maybe 55, 60 years old. He's shivering sand. I would look at him and then like have like, you know, feel weird like this, you know, like um, have a goosebump, like shit. So if I don't do something, I'm going to find myself here at 60 years or something. That's not going to happen. Right. There's no way that that's going to happen. Right. He has to change. He right. has to be different. And that's happened to me a lot. Even when I left the village, I went to the city. We were uh, carrying uh, merchandise, uh, unloading truck and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and there was the people older that was working that job. And now I'm like, man... So if I stay here, um, if I get settled, I might just end up like this guy because this guy actually uh, just think like, oh, okay, let's just do it. And then didn't think of tomorrow. And then year just go by, but, he didn't realize. Right. Then I'm like, no, I have to be awake. I have right. to be awake. Notice right. the time going and because this can end like this. I can find myself here right. at this age. But the problem is that like when you have those kind of talk, thought, if you express it, then it's kind of like insulting those people. And then in Africa, like when you, when a adult feel, a elder person feel a, uh, insult by you, is very disrespectful, mm. right? So I am in the village, uh, maybe I'm 10 years old, 12, 15 years old, and uh, they all believe that I'm going to become a farmer or a carpenter or maybe go learn mechanic and stuff. I'm like, no, I'm going to do this. 
I'm going to uh, do pr- uh, be a professional fighter. They'll be like, like who? Nobody has ever done that here. Like, it's not mean for us, right? It's not for us. It's for right. somebody. Right. Look, look around you, and this is your reality. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. But although I still want to give it a shot, so therefore, it seems like okay, you are looking down to people. Like you didn't have a better life. You didn't choose a better job, and then they started feel that and reject on you. They didn't just because nobody has a big in, a dream big enough to understand that you are just dreaming. Right. You know, you are not even thinking about them, but you're thinking about right. you and what you want. You're not do. looking down on them, but no, you're, you're looking better looking for yourself. On them, but you're looking up for, for, for yourself. Yeah. Right. So that's how like my upbringing was also tough because like just carry, just keep dreaming, just have this mentality of a dreamer. He was something hard to manage out there in the in middle of a people that they don't have dream, they don't expect something right. big to happen for them, and that set me to the point that people were like, "Oh, this kid is a bad kid." I was a very bad kid for people. Like when I go someplace, people didn't even want me to mix in the middle of their kid. I'm like, this kid is a bad kid. He's going to intoxicate our kid right here. Like his mindset is not good. Like, his dream is so high. Like he's going to end up robbing a bank, a bank, because he want an easy life. Right. Like, what do you mean an easy life? I'm saying I'm going to, I might just go out there and get punches on my face. Right. Not easy life. Right. Like, but they didn't believe that it could have happened. Basically, in the country that they really have no example, no example of mm-hmm. a person that have done it, have succeeded in it. Even people that has more opportunity and started earlier, um, when this, you see, um, um, uh, documentary on their life or a uh, watch them on the news they go back and you know want to tell their story this guy is in the house with uh, dust everywhere he couldn't even have a uh, cement floor mm-hmm. and stuff like that and it was tough right. so like to be honest to this day i don't blame people those people not to believe me because the reality around was tough enough to to believe in something like that but i was so driven by my dream the power of my dream was so big and i could i could feel that only on my own i could share to with people what i'm feeling and i was so confident about it and people was looking at me like this kid is losing his mind like he's out of the real world, right. like come down on earth, bro. Right. You know, like, yeah. So it was that. I read you were a, a, a loner as a kid. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really a loner by choice, by uh, de- decision. It just happened like that. You know, like. People don't want you playing with their kids because you a bad influence. <laughs> you no, dream too big. No, like, um, when my parents get divorced, mm-hmm. I was six years old. Okay. Um, so. Uh, we started to live in, in different family. Right. Uh, like we're going to go to this family member that will help take us for like maybe six months. Mm-hmm. And within these six months, uh, maybe we will go to school and you will start a new school and you don't have a friend. Not only you don't have a friend, you're a new guy. You need time to have friends. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing that wasn't playing on our avant on my advantage was the fact that uh, to get to the um, even at at the school, you know, when you come at uh, in a new school mm-hmm. and then you're the cool guy, is 
It's easy to have friends. Right. Everybody want to be your friend. Mm -hmm. But you're the kids that come with your shoes that is, I don't know, like, no right. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to kick you out uh, of school, of the classroom someday because you didn't just have a pen to take note or you didn't have a notebook or stuff like that or you didn't pay your uh, scholar fee. So, so you had to pay to go to school? Oh, yeah, we paid to go to school. Oh, yeah. Oh, we paid to go to school. For regular public school, you had to pay? Yeah. It's cheaper, but we pay. <laughs> we have to pay. And uh, so you're a, new, you're a new kid, and then you're the one that is always being embarrassed. So everyone want to step back. Nobody is very interested to be your friend. You want to be friend. You want to fit in. You know, you're just a kid. You know, you want to belong. Right. But you don't belong. It's hard to find. Uh, you don't, you, you never bring food at school to share with somebody. So nobody want to share with you because usually when kids share with you, it's in the expectation that tomorrow maybe you share with them as right. well, but you never bring anything. Right. Nobody want to share with you. Nobody want to even hang out around. So then he was like that continuously. And then, uh, and then I kept trying. But one thing that I was doing, I created a virtual war in my mind, you know, because the life was so tough. Uh, a lot of things was missing in my life that the only way that I could get those things right as I wanted was in my mind. And I, and I created it. And I was living a life in my mind. I was living two lives, actually. Right. Like one on earth for real and one just in my head. And it was a real life that I have a family and everything. And we go to school, everything is good. We come back home, there's food, we eat and go uh, do our homework, everything, like just perfect as I want with my parents, uh, always at home, my siblings, which by the time I, I didn't even know where they, my, uh, my other sibling were. One was here, the other one was there, two was there. <laughs> we were all spread around. So the only way to uh, reunite us was in my, in, in my in mind. mind. <laughs> did, and you say your parents got divorced when you were six. Did you understand? Did your parents sit you down and say, you know? No, no, no. They, we, they don't do that. We don't have that uh, aspect in Africa. They don't have that uh, meant emotion aspect in Africa. You have to understand, like, I'm talking of a, uh, like, growing up, for example, as a kid, mm -hmm. maybe never get hooked, even when you're home with your dad. You never get hugged by with your dad. So this is the level of emotion. Well, the emotional attachment is the not emotional attachment. It's not that we don't take that emotional comp uh, component. Like I was after one year uh, with my parents being divorced, I was uh, with my aunts. And then uh, I saw because when they divorced, I stayed with these aunts like two years and a half, almost three years uh, before I started to go this place six months, one year. But that was the longest that I, I stayed somewhere else uh, from maybe six to, I don't know, six to 15 or 16. So I was there like, um, was just seven years old. And one day I asked my aunt, which is the uh, bigger sister of my mom. I asked her like, why my dad and my mom couldn't live like your husband and you? That wasn't a good question to ask. Mm. Because 
she didn't understand how a seven years old kid can understand something like that, can think like that. So for them, I was just a spirit living in the kid body. So they always believed, she always believed, she passed away like five years ago, but even though she believed that I wasn't just me, like a spirit was living in me, she didn't understand that I was just missing my family right. so much that he was, I was able to notice stuff like right. that because all the time I'm looking at this, I'm like, why, where's my parent, my own parent? Right. I'm seeing them with their kid. I'm like, where's my own parent? Why my own parent? You wanted what they had. I wanted what they had. So from the moment that I'm missing those stuff, I notice it. Right. You said you, you, you worked in the sand mines for over 20, uh, over 10 years. So until you were 22 and you saw people die in those sand mines. And you said, as you mentioned earlier, you saw someone you believed to be 55, 60 years of age and you were just a child. And you said, I don't want that to be me. That's not going to be me. I see better. And you mentioned that you had two, you lived two lives. You had the life that you had in Cameroon and you had the life that you had in your mind. Yeah that you envisioned that there was something better for Francis Ngannou away from Cameroon? Uh, at that moment, I wasn't thinking a way of Cameroon. I was just thinking of the future. I don't know where that future would, would, would have been. Until, I think, until really, like when I started boxing at 22, I realized that even with boxing, I'm not going anywhere in Cameroon. I'm not going to do anything, even if I'm the best. Right. It's not going to be uh, helpful. So that's when you, so at 22 is when you first got into the the, the combat, the, the boxing game. Yeah. And you're like, obviously you're beating up all the people in Cameroon. <laughs> He's like, okay. Uh, what was I the next step? What was your thought process? Okay, I'm winning in Cameroon, but I'm never going to be what I believe I can be just being in Cameroon. Well, I, even in Cameroon, I didn't do boxing so much because after one year, I got sick. Hepatitis B, uh, and it wasn't great. So, and I was boxing and was working at the same time mm -hmm. because I was already on my own. So now I have to take care of myself, um, do this uh, regime for like six months and stuff. So I stopped boxing. And that was the moment that another like glass of cold water was thrown on, in, on my face. Like, look at the reality. And the reality was that this ain't, I ain't going anywhere with this out here. I better get out of this country wow. and go somewhere with more opportunity. Your story, here's where the story gets really, I mean, you had a, the childhood is that when you're in the third world country and you're living in the, you said, we're lower than working class. But here's where it gets very interesting. And people follow me with this. At 26, you left Cameroon. You go to Nigeria. Niger, Algeria, Morocco, the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and Spain, just to make it to Paris, France. Now, I'm not Magellan. I'm not this great, you know, navigator or anything, but it seemed like you were just traveling in circles before you got to your ultimate destination. So, N Nigeria, Niger, Algeria, Morocco, Sahara Desert, Mediterranean. It took you over a year. Yeah, it took me 14. It took me 14 months to get all the way to, to France because all this was... Uh, um, illegal immigration, right? right? Um, a lot of people that are looking for a better opportunity mm -hmm. uh, for job, for stuff like that. Um, that lived. I mean, I left on my own, but on on the way, we met 
you met with people coming from different places. Right. And by the time you get in Morocco, there is like all the nationality of South, uh, of uh, um, Sahara, mm -hmm. uh, South, uh, uh, Sub-Saharan, Sub Afri yeah. African, that are up there. They have different community mm -hmm. and all with the same goal to get in, in Europe. I mean, watching that is scary. You know, I'm like, okay, so all these people are looking to go. They've been, it's been like this amount every time. Where am I going exactly? You know, you're free. But you were undeterred because you mentioned you were on the raft sometimes. You got turned back. You got, and you just like, I'm not, I'm not going back. That's the journey of a lot of people out there. In fact, uh, I was out there just for one, one year. Uh, I can say, yes, I was very determined. I was uh, going again and again and again. I didn't settle because some people at some point, they get tired, they get exhausted, they get burned out and they just uh, go back in the city and sit and just start to find a job as a builder or help somebody like work, you know, mm -hmm. and they are all in, they are not in a good situation. So they can even afford a good job. So, um, yeah, I was just doing the same. It was the same process as a lot of people. Some people had a better chance, have better chance. They would do it, make it from the first attempt. Some people, second attempt. Some people would try two, three times and don't make it and just uh, give up, you know, or quit. How many times did it take you before you became successful and got crossed over? So in the, in the ocean, he was, I first six times and he was the seventh time. I went to the gate uh, like three times. It didn't work. Uh, the first time I get really, really caught you got, by the barbed wire. Okay. Really bad. You got stuck. You got. Uh, yeah, I still get some. I still get some deep scar on me. <laughs> that reminds me. <laughs> but uh, I always like prefer water because I was more comfortable in water mm -hmm. uh, and stuff. But I finally succeeded the seventh time. And it was like one year exactly from the day that I left Cameroon. Basically like one year anniversary wow. from when I left Cameroon. So I remember when we get rescued, we get rescued by the Red Cross in the, in the ocean. Uh, it was around like maybe 8 to 9 a.m. in the morning and April 3rd, 20, um, 2013. And, uh, That's my daughter's birthday. Really? 2013? April. No, April 3rd. April 3rd, yeah. And uh, I was there and these people, the other people, because it was nine of us in this raft, this little swimming mm -hmm. pool raft. And then uh, they were celebrating and I was just there thinking, then I really just hit me. Oh, so some people was calling their family, but I've been there so long that I have nothing, even not a phone, no money, nothing. Uh, I, there, even the reason why I was in that raft was because I have so much experience by failing that I was a captain. I don't know how to <laughs> swim. I don't know how to Hold swim. Hold on. But, you but I know how to paddle. <laughs> you said you like water more yeah. so than, uh, but you can't swim. No. <laughs> I can't swim. <laughs> Hold on. You in the Mediterranean Sea and you can't swim a lick? No. Oh my goodness. So you, you think, you think 
if you can swim, you you can swim from the Mediterranean. No, but I'm the I'm the okay, so. That, that no, matter. I ain't saying swim, but you can swim. <laughs> I mean, I ain't gonna go straight down like a rock. I mean, I can stay up. I can stay afloat for a while. And then what would be the the end of it? You can get back to the raft if you fall out to the raft. If you press no, it. no, then I will get back. If, if there's a possibility to get off to the raft, we have life jacket at least. Oh, so y'all had where y'all get the life jacket from? Oh no, no. The first rule is to have life jacket. Okay, you are going to the in the ocean. Yes. Hey. <laughs> With this raft, he needs he needs uh, a little nail like this to to blow that shit like, and it's over. <laughs> doesn't matter if you know how to swim. If you're in the middle of the ocean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. So the minimum, the bare minimum, is life. the life jacket. And sometimes we don't have a life jacket. Um, do, uh, you know this thing that I don't know how they call it. We call it in French vessie that they put inside the tire. Yeah, in the tube. Huh? In the tube. In the tube. Then we take it, we blow it, and then we cut the other one. We tie it. We put on our waist like this. We we get it wrapped mm -hmm. on our wow. stuff like this. That one is even better than <laughs> better than life jacket. And cheaper. <laughs> you said you didn't tell anybody that you were leaving. Why? Because when you, if I say I'm leaving, what would be your first question? Where you going? Why? Exactly. <laughs> Where you going? <laughs> and if I say I don't know, what would you think of me? Uh, well, since you don't know where you're going, well, you might as well stay here. I'm gonna try to talk you out of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you might just, oh, you might just think that I'm I'm crazy. Yeah. Basically that since I've been having this crazy dream that mm -hmm. nobody understand, then now I wake up someday and say, oh, I'm going. Where are you going? I don't know. Come on, man. What the hell is that, right? right? And also, he was so stressful. You did, I, I mean, you don't know. You're walking into the unknown territory. Yeah. You don't know if you will ever come back or not. Right. You don't know how it's out there. You don't know if you will make it, if you will survive. You don't know if you come back uh, alive or if you even your body will ever come back or if you come back, you will come back in five years or in 10 years. You don't know. I mean, like, how are you going to tell that to people? It's you didn't think your family would be worried? That you just took off and they didn't say, like, where is Francis? Francis didn't come. Where is Francis? Francis didn't come. Yeah, where? but if they're worried, when I'm gone, that means I'm gone already. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gone already. So that's another thing. So what, so when you get ready to, so what do you guys do for food? Okay, you're going, you're going, you're going to be in this rap and you're going to be in it for an extended period of time. How much food did you get? No, in the rap, you don't have food. I mean, um, and it's not what like, y'all eating. No, it's not like you, you don't spend days on the rough, right? Uh, it's hours, couple hours. Hey, in that situation, you can do twenty-four, make twenty-four hours without eating. You ain't you ain't get nothing. You ain't get no fruit. You ain't grab no bananas. You ain't grab nothing. No, uh, you don't. I mean, <laughs> it's a very you're hiding from the police and sometimes you can get stuck somewhere for five hours, just stay in one spot because there is a police car there, because there is a police somewhere around or somebody right. that can potentially alert the police or right. something. And then you will just hide like that all night long. We are doing this all night long. We start our journey as soon as uh, the night fall and then uh, waiting in the morning, like maybe five, 
five to six, it depends. The moment that they call prayer, because uh, there is this uh, prayer uh, every morning that mm -hmm. they call, and is a sign. We are expecting the, the uh, people that uh, are watching, uh, overnight watching, uh, to go pray at that moment. So it's the opportunity for us to put the raft in the water. Mm -hmm. All night long, we will be watching uh, watching the wave because your raft is, your raft is this big. And then sometimes the wave is coming all the way high here and you look at your, the wave, you look at your raft, you're like, there's no you way. And sometimes you try, you force, you force to go to the, uh, to those waves and then he will take you and smash you back and you better be on somewhere that there is sand, no rock. Because if you go in the be in between of rocks to put the raft, even if you find a spot to put a raft, sometimes when wave are very big, they will grab you and slam you on those rocks. Right. So, <clears throat> what about like water? Did you take water? No. So basically, so for 24 hours, I mean, maybe 24, maybe 48 hours? I mean, sometimes hours. some people, yeah, sometimes you can have something uh, in your pocket, you get prepared, mm -hmm. but you're not going to carry food. If you have something like a cereal bar, or a bread, you know, is a uh, is a cup, so it's born very low. Mm -hmm. If you have it, good. But you also have to know that sometimes people go to those places uh, without even having uh, what to eat. They don't have nothing left, you know. But their only drive is to get, get to a better life. Right. So. What was it like? I mean, because not only you like you had to go through the forest sometimes, you had to go by land. I know you said you chose you like water better than land. So the conditions <clears throat> and you mentioned like it was so many. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. 
different sub-Saharan that was making this trek. You, you know, how, on estimate, how many people you think it were on a given time making that trek? A thousand? Ten thousand, five thousand, twenty thousand? No, not that much, but a couple of thousand. A couple of thousand? At least, yeah. The condition, uh, when you're trying to get, because when, you, uh, when you're trying to get, you guys are going to live in the forest. Right. And then, uh, even like in the winter, in the winter, uh, the water condition is very bad. Right. It's very aggressive. Yeah. It's very cold, mm-hmm. the, the water is not stable at all, right. so you can't even try, right. you know, it's like... Uh, so there's a time, like, okay, we're going to go, say, like, the spring or the summer, yeah. the yeah, water's yeah. calmer, the yeah, water's yeah, warmer, yeah, 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 yeah. and you have, you know, the weather's nicer, yeah. you don't want to be on the water when it's cold. Yeah, that, uh, there's a moment moment that they call it out, nobody's going on the water, because it's a... It's too dangerous. Yeah, too, too dangerous. So on all those voyages, so what did you do to stay in shape? Because like you were a fighter, you said you always wanted to be a fighter. That was going to be your thing. So did you, like if you were in the forest, did you do push-ups? Did you do sit-ups? I mean, what did you I did push-ups that I can do now. Like uh, I was doing, I get to the point that I was doing like uh, 300 push-ups a day, like five sections of 60 push-ups. Yeah. Like, Normal, and right. then with some apps, some stuff like that. But just because we have nothing to do, and then we get into Spain after that, afterward, right. mm-hmm. they put us in jail for two months. Nothing, you you can't do anything there. Just maybe push up, work some bench, right? Whatever you can do. So you spent two years in in Paris. So how how long were you in? Almost four years. In almost Paris. in jail. No, no, two months. Two months. Two months. In Spain. In Spain. I was in Spain. Then you got to Paris. Yeah. Then I left. When they free us, uh, we went to this, uh, those association. Uh, after a couple, couple of weeks, we left. And uh, actually, I was going to Germany. I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, you wanted to go to Germany. Why would you want to go to Germany? What's in Germany? There was a Klitschko brother, and the heavyweight boxing at that time was moving up there. Okay. In France, uh, there wasn't really like a boxing stuff that right. was driving me there. And I was chasing boxing because at first, if I would have to choose, I would have come straight to America. Right. There's not a path like that to come to America. Right. Then I want to go to the UK. But problem now, the UK is not in the Schengen zone. So even when we get there, with not, uh, you try and get into Europe. And when they free you, you need to do another similar stuff and go north in France and try and wait for months and I don't know, maybe more to try to go to the UK. I was like, oh man, I'm tired. I'm going to Germany. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't speak any German, but uh, sport doesn't need language. I will learn over time, but by the time I will be uh, boxing. How did you meet people? How did you make friends? Because, you know, you say you weren't a loner by choice. Is that you know, when your parents separated and, and, you know, you had to go with this aunt and you went with this relative to, to and so when you go to different schools, kids were a little apprehensive. Um, so how did you meet people? How did you make friends? Well, <laughs> I wasn't going to make friends. I mean, I think uh, over, uh, I get to the point, when I was a kid, I get to the point that I understand my reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I stopped trying to make friends. I just... And I, and I think that was even the best thing that happened to me, you know, like I just accept my situation and just take it as it was and 
just be my own friend. Mm -hmm. And he, he worked out perfectly. Uh, I've never been dependent on anybody. I just... You don't have a whole me. lot of friends now, do you? No, no, I don't. Even <laughs> now, because the problem is that when I get later on in life, I get in a good position, uh, a better situation, but I was so used to be alone. Uh, and then that's the moment that people, uh, some people, people would think, I mean, you're a good profile to right. be friend. You know, you're a cool guy now, but you're so used to be alone. Right. That you, that contact with people being around all the time, right. you can do it. You know, like if I go somewhere, if I go into a party or somewhere that there's so many people, like at some point, I need to step out to go somewhere that I'm alone. Otherwise, because it drains my energy. You're an it introvert. Me, it, yeah, it gets me exhausted. So I need to go out somewhere that I'm by myself, then I refill my energy. Right. But if I can deal with like constant uh, uh, company, you find a boxing gym. How did you know that the people there were legit? How did you know, like, okay, this, this, this is it. This is it. I didn't know that he was legit. I just have to. I just had to try, and I know that I had to start somewhere. Right. It wasn't about being legit. Boxing. At the end of the day, boxing gym will not make you a boxer. The only thing you can find the best boxing gym, but. You are not just a boxer and you will never become a boxer, right? right. Um, it's up to you. And if you are really a boxer, maybe you start in some gym which is not that great or that doesn't have that level. Later on, you will understand and you will f find yourself in a good position. So like um, I, I get in Paris, he was June 9th and then uh, it was a Sunday. And the next day, it was Monday, I just started to walk around and ask for a gym until I found this gym. Um, and it was around 4, 4 p.m. And um, they were training and I asked to see the coach. The coach wasn't there. There was a guy that was uh, uh, giving a class that day named Didier Carmel. So I asked if I can meet him. They say yes, wait until the, the, the end of the class. So after the end of the class, I met him and I explained the situation. I said, I just came from Africa. I'm sleep. I don't even have where to sleep, but it's okay. I'm not asking for, I just want a place to train because I'm, I want to be, I'm going to be a world champion. You know, it's a little, um, it's a little cocky when you meet people at the gym and none of them is even like French champion and you just throw it at their face like you're going to be a world champion. Right. You know, like you think we are hanging out here just for fun. <laughs> but that's how he came out. But he was a really good guy and then he 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 helped he helped me a lot. How how long did you stay in Germany? I didn't go to Germany. That was in France. France. Yeah. You didn't so you didn't go to Germany. So I was just I just stopped in France, France. with uh because the, I was I met with group of people there right. that were go, all going to right. France. So I'm like, okay, let's stop in France and see. Right. Then I stopped in France, but next day I was just going. I didn't just stop to like, okay, let's enjoy right. France. Right. I was just going. Right. Then I find something, then I keep and you kept finding something else. Yeah, keep digging, keep digging. So basically you left France and came to the US. Yeah. What was it like getting on that plane coming to the U.S.? 
Oh, because getting in France, yes, he was good. He was another, uh, but that was just the end, the beginning of another chapter. Right. Then you have to figure out your way in France. You are in France, um, you have no situation, no regulation, um, situation in France. Big black guy with your African accent. Good luck with that. <laughs> 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 But the women, the women probably liked you. Big black guy in France with an accent. Uh, See, not letting you have you. So this is the thing. They so um, usually. I mean, when they know you're in that situation, <laughs> everybody know that you're in. You need one thing: paper. Mm -hmm. How to get your situation regulated. Mm -hmm. And marriage is marriage is one of those situations. Mm -hmm. So, a, a lot of women um, they were trying to marry you. Not, they try to no, marry they you. They don't want none of that oh, because oh, for you, them they just see it's like it's like a rich. They man. think you're gonna it's use like them. It's like a rich man thinking a woman is mm -hmm. just coming okay. after okay. their money. Okay, okay, So for them, you are just coming after that. So they don't even want to think about it. It's not even a, it's not even thinkable. Right. Right. Obviously, there are some few. Uh, exception, but uh, overall, it's not even thinkable. Right. Because even when you talk to a man, and a man that that man understand that you don't have a paper, bro, he treats you like you are a uh, inferior creature, right. like you you are below him just because of the paper. And I kind of like, man, it's not like something that you earn. You didn't do anything right. to <laughs> deserve that. Right. You know, I mean. Yes, maybe you get some job, you work hard, you you get you build a house, right. and somebody doesn't have a house. You just happen yes. to be born in France. You I just have to be born in <laughs> France, and that's all. You didn't do anything, right. so don't look at. But is a is the most people will act like this. So you walk around and trying to sneak, and you don't even tell people, right? Right? But you have this battle because without it, you don't. You are not in any system, right? So when you get, came to the U.S., where was the first? Where did you like? Where did you go to when you came to the U.S.? Where did you go first? Orlando. I was going to Orlando. It was my first UFC fight. Okay. So that's when I was coming into U.S. And then, uh, as my dream was always to come to to the U.S., I remember I landed, and then there was this guy uh, at the baggage claim with the tablet with my name on it, UFC on top, like Francis Ngannou. And then I, we, I, I saw my name, we walked mm -hmm. through him, take my bag, and then go to the car, drive. And at that moment, I'm just thinking of that my first time in the U.S. And I'm comparing it in my first time in France. I'm like, this is so different. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm looking like, okay. And he was what? Not even four years ago. Yeah, four years ago. Four years ago. Huh? No, two two years. Two years, a uh, couple months. Yeah. Because this was December 2015. Right. I get in friend in June 2013. Right. So this was two years and maybe five or six, five months. Yeah, two years and a half. Right. After. Then I'm looking at me getting in France in the subway that I jumped. I didn't even pay a ticket. Right. I drove on the subway and snake and was watching police. This that's how I'm getting in France. Right. And then ended up in the in the parking lot that I found the uh uh boxes and put on the floor, sleep on it, like uh and then 
I'm here learning in the U.S. and there's somebody out there. I mean, that, I'm, I'm coming from, uh, from a plane, right? And somebody is waiting for me. I walk there and then get in the, um, uh, get in the car drove me into the hotel and I was, I'm just laying back and watching for everything. Like, okay, just, it's just going to my mind. I'm just processing stuff, right? And then we get to this hotel, Hayat Hotel, Hayat Residency, mm -hmm. uh, massive hotel. I never saw a hotel like that. Then I just lay back, they go there, check in and brought my key, give me my key, room number, we went up, put my key, get in my room. I locked the door. I make sure the door is very locked. <laughs> I look my phone. I call in Cameroon and I say, hey, I have made it. <laughs> I have made it. Because my whole dream was to be in America. Right. That was like my biggest dream since I was a kid. Like right. I remember like even when since I was eight or seven, I've been making, having nickname, calling myself American boy and all this <laughs> stuff. Like, uh, and they will call me like San Francisco. Uh, and I'll force people to tell people like, my name is San Francisco. Like, <laughs> to this day, my signature is SF. And people, sometimes people is like, uh, there's no S on your name. I'm like, it's my signature. You don't know my name. <laughs> so. I'm in the U.S. and I get in the U.S. in the best way. No, as I get in Europe. So, like I made it, right? Right. I'm here. And I remember also 2000, 2008, we were in Cameroon when Obama won the election. Mm -hmm. The, yeah. And then he was, the result was, came out like he was maybe 5 a.m. in Cameroon. Nobody didn't sleep. We were waiting. The first black. It was something very important, the first black president. Everybody feel related into that, like, and then he won. And then I was there, we were celebrating, but in my mind, something was racing. Something else was racing. And I tell uh, my uncle, I'm like, okay, uh, a presidency uh, mandate is like four years in the US, so, and renewal one time, so eight years. At the end of this, I'm gonna be in the US. I'm gonna be. And so that's, I made it in 2017, 2015, and he was still a president. Um, I made it. I don't know what the <laughs> hell you're talking about. You made it. So you I, made it, hey. I made but, it. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. So when you got, you, you got to the US, you have the fight in Orlando, you get a check, what'd you do with the money? You go buy anything special? No. My dream is so big that obviously it's the money that I never had, but I'm looking for something else. I'm, I'm dreaming big. <laughs> I don't have time for that. Okay, that's cool. Then what next? Right. What, what am I having? Right? Right. Uh, it was all about like how the, the June, the process. Yeah. I didn't buy anything. I, I was supposed to, I wanted to go in Cameroon for vacation and they, that would be, that would have been my first time since I left. Then, uh, but at the same time, I want to fight right back and then they gave me a fight. Um, yeah, no, I wanted to go, but 
you know, I was sitting there hoping to find maybe in February, so I didn't go to Cameroon. Uh, I'm like, let's wait. Then uh, they gave me after maybe I think it was January or early, yeah, sometime in January or uh, early February, they gave me this fight, uh, my second fight. Uh, I was going to fight Curtis Blade in uh, Zagreb, Croatia. So after that, I went back in Cameroon, and it was four years since I left. Wow. Listening at you, you always, even the situation with the UFC, you thought about other fighters. PL League, you think about other fighters. You go back home and it's thinking about your family, your community. How do I put them in a better situation? Where did you develop that from? Uh, we grew up in a very tough situation. Um, my family and I, we, our life get us very close. Mm -hmm. We are very bound, like very, very close. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, um, I used to get sick, sick in a way that I couldn't like go to the bathroom, go, to, go out there pee on my own. Mm -hmm. I need support, you know, and, uh, even like, when we are working in the sun, uh, in the sun mine, like when I'm sick, they will use our money, even my brother money to take me to the hospital. So he wasn't like my money, your money. He was our. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. I was, you know, stuff like that. And then when you get to the point that you understand that you need, you need this, you need them. Mm -hmm. And they are, for some reason, they are always there. Uh, then you lay there and then you feel powerless. And then it's hard, but you see them around, you know, gather to like do everything to support, to help you in that position mm -hmm. that you are the most vulnerable. Those help, like relationship, I think. 
one that that that's like one of the uh second thing uh that I feel very maybe the first thing that I feel very grateful about because regardless I saw a lot of uh, family uh, around mm-hmm. that they were actually doing good that growing up maybe we will expect them to give uh them their clothes that they don't wear anymore or the shoes that they don't want anymore but I saw how it ended how their family end up um like in fact, I think our family is by far, was by far the best, right? Because we get into the position that we just stick to each other. I mean, like, it's comforting to think that if your brother make it, he's going to think about you. Right. And then you're counting on him. You're counting on each other. So the day that you make it, you also have this, this in you. Uh, and, we we were so family focused, you know, like, um, and I always miss this, my family reunion mm-hmm. that uh, my first goal was to make this happen, you know, until like I started to make the family, re- those family reunion. My Our dad wasn't at the table, but I was able to gather everyone and put in one table, maybe for Christmas, for something, or maybe just for the party that I came back home and decided we're going to throw right. this party. And uh, uh, the good thing about it is like when you feel like you have that power. Right. Okay, uh, somebody doesn't is not missing because he he's out there working. How much you making it? Well, I get you, bro. Come. When I say come, everybody come. Right. <laughs> you open the gym and can't. <clears throat> How difficult was it? Has it? Is it difficult for you to say no? Because it's, you strike me as a very generous person. No, especially I to- say no a lot. <laughs> In fact, even, no, no, listen. You have to understand, I'm coming from a country, uh, country that a lot of people are in the very uh, bad condition. Bad condition. Mm-hmm. If you take their problem, it's gonna drown you. You can you can handle. So you can't save everyone. You, huh? you can't save. You, you have to save yourself first, mm-hmm. and to get out of the water before trying to take somebody out of the water. Otherwise, both of you you will drown. So even when I want to help somebody, sometime mm-hmm. he will come and explain his problem. I'm like, bro, figure it out. That's your shit. <laughs> I will go think of a problem. Think of like what could be the solution. Mm-hmm. But I don't want a grown man to just sit out there, lay back and wait on me. And wait for you to Because take. I'm out here working my ass off too. I'm right. not out here sitting and things are just coming to me. Mm-hmm. So I'll let you know you count on yourself. Because when you count on yourself, you never get disappointed. Right. If somebody helps you, that, that would be a great surprise. But when you count on people, you always have a bad surprise. Right. It's, you you rather have a chance for disappointment. A great surprise than a bad surprise. How is it going back home now? <laughs> Both. <laughs> it's good and bad. You probably have to have a police escort when you go back. Oh no, just go out. Just stay home like a prisoner, like you. Really? Like you're running away from somebody, <laughs> knowing that you you owe nobody nothing, or you're not running away from anything but you still have to stay home because that's the easiest way wow. you, you want to go place you just think about like oh people are there people are going to meet me you're going to see me and i'm like i'd rather just stay here man leave me alone but, <laughs> but it's great overall that's mean you're doing good. at what age did you learn english um uh, 
when I started to come, when I started to come in the U.S. Um, so prior to coming to the U.S., you didn't speak English? No, even in Cameroon, we were speaking a little bit of the pidgin, mm -hmm. but no, not too much. Uh, I wasn't even speaking too much, but I always love English. And I understand that uh, at that time, I understood that I needed English. For me, uh, learning English was an investment mm -hmm. that I was going to make. Right. And I was like one of the biggest decisions when I moved in the U.S. Because when I moved in the U.S., this was early 2017. Bro, it was so hard. Like, even the word that I know, maybe because I learned at school, like water, people will say water. But we, we say water, water, water. or something like yeah. that. And, it's, and when I say water, nobody understands anything. And when they say water, I'm like, what the hell is talking about? And the accent and the speed that they are talking. Sometimes people are talking. I think like this guy is singing or he's talking. Like, what's the difference? Right. I had to figure it out. So the easiest thing was just to go back maybe in France or somewhere. But I'm like, remember why I came here. I need this English. I need this English for for the future, right. this is a good asset. You speak French? Yeah. Spanish? No. No Spanish? No. Even though? I was in Spanish for like, what, two months and a half? Yeah. And two, in two months, I was just in jail between <laughs> us. So we were all speaking French. So we wasn't in Spain. Right. The only time, the only thing that we know in, in Spanish was Pacho, time to go out. Right. Uh, la, la Lucha. Right when they are turning the light on, off, uh, at night for us to go to sleep, <laughs> stuff like that. What was the hardest language for you to learn? Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, French is not something, I don't know when I learned French. You know, yeah. I just grew up like into it and my dialect, but right. yeah, I just grew up, grew up into it. So yeah. I didn't actually really learn you know, even though I didn't, uh, I wasn't speaking too much early in my life. I was speaking the dialect, but the language that I really like, okay, I'm learning language was English. Yeah. But I'm looking at you and I mean, look, big old six foot five brother with accent, speaking French, speaking English. The women, they, they, they coming. Well, how many women can you have? I don't know in Africa. I guess you can have as many as you can afford. Yeah, but still, <laughs> you have to be. You have to commit into that. That's another energy to give somewhere else. <laughs> so, so, and we were talking earlier, dating, marriage, uh, what you want to accomplish, what you're trying to accomplish, is that in the future? I don't know. Right now, I don't think about it. Like, um, I remember when I left Cameroon, mm -hmm. uh, I wanted maybe to get married. I don't know. But what I, what I wanted the most was to have kids mm -hmm. because I wasn't knowing where I was going. So I wanted to leave a legacy behind me. <laughs> Somebody that. They will remind, re, re, remember yeah. me through, yeah. like, oh, at least that, that, that that's, was the that's key. or something, right? <laughs> right. So that's something that I really want so hard. And I think that's the only moment that I was thinking about marriage. It was just to have a baby, right? 
Then after that, I get, uh, I start, I get into this life that my condition is very bad. So you don't think about women. You think right. about how to get out of the get, situation, get out of this situation and get better. And then this thing just keep rolling. And even when it's changing and getting better, you're in the same, uh, in the same pool, mm -hmm. rolling the same way. Right. And until you wake up someday, I'm like, it's been 10 years. It's been eight years. Damn. But. You don't feel any uh, like you, it's something that you want, so I don't know. Give me even though, like uh, my, in in Africa, they've been pushing me even before I left Cameroon to get married. Yeah, you be king. Yeah. No, I say even before the, I left. Right to get married. Now. Yeah. yeah. Even before I left Cameroon for the first time. Yeah. My grandpa wanted me to get married. I was twenty years old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they wanted us to get married, and then. Not to get only married uh, for one one girl, multiple. <laughs> <laughs> grandpa, I like grandpa. I made it eat meat, grandpa. <laughs> no, out there is is normal. Yeah, yeah. Although for some reason at this uh, age, people don't don't even want to get married. Right. Before he was like. Kind of like a culture, people have yeah. to marry. So marriage is not as big even. now in Cameroon as it was when you were a kid. Because yeah, because people now is so more into this uh, Western style, yeah. like oh yes, and this and women uh, started think differently. This even men they don't want this responsibility because before, you know, um, polygamy in Africa. Uh, at first, mo most, ma most marriage in Africa for men was a uh, responsibility. Mm -hmm. It wasn't to have fun, you know, even like to get married, even to have multiple wives. Most of the time, in the many situations, it wasn't like, oh, I like those women so much. Right. It was a situation that you have to first, uh, for example, like when a guy in a, uh, in a community was successful, he need to get married from wife in a different neighborhood mm -hmm. around the community so to make to give people more ch many chance because if you get married here other community will be like oh he didn't he doesn't care about us he should have married the kids of us right. and they will want you to marry the girl oh, from that community wow. so then you find out people that are getting married just for opportunity uh to give um opportunity for community why because um Unlike here, when you when you have a uh, daughter there, all your life is a worry. You don't know how she's going to end up. Mm. You don't know. You're worried if ever she's going to find a, have a roof uh, or to have somebody to take care. And then there's this guy that's going to take care of, of her. Uh, you don't care if she's the fifth or the tenth wife. Wow. Take it, bro. <laughs> and that's how some people were getting were, were getting a lot of wife just to like, you know, give chance to community. And also one thing that was very important, if your brother or your family member passed away mm -hmm. and left a wife with children. You had to take one of you guys have to take that wife. Like whether you like it or not, somebody has to take it. But you're not going to sleep with the wife, though, No, right? you'll sleep with it. No, I mean, you no. You'll take the wife. Yeah, I'm just take it and say, yeah, okay, I'm, no. I'm going to take care of you and make sure Yeah, but you can't, take, you can't take a wife and just not sleep with it. Yeah, you can. You can kill no, both. <laughs> you're going to take. Why? Because, and the reason why they were doing that, the family was doing that, because they didn't want... Uh, 
a, a wife uh, to live with their kids and get out there, get married with somebody that will mistreat those kids. Right. Because okay. with the situation being very complicated, I mean, this guy is going to work hard and then maybe get home barely have food for two, three people. Mm -hmm. And then if he has a kid, it's for a dead tree. The other guy, kid, is... It's not my kids, right? Mm -hmm. So the family didn't want that to happen. So they wanted to keep the wife and the kids into the family. So somebody has to step wow. up and take that as a responsibility. Wow. I'm glad that in America. Yeah. So polygamy, most of the time, uh, wasn't by choice. Right. Yeah, oh, it was okay. by responsibility. Give me your four Mount Rushmore MMA fighters. You know what Mount Rushmore is, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, John John. Okay. Uh, I will put uh, Kamaru Usman. Okay. And Adesanya. Okay. Definitely. Uh, let's pick one person that I can put. Um, maybe Ken Velasquez. Okay. I kind of thought you might go Anderson Silva. Maybe Horace Gracie. Yeah. I mean, I would, yeah, uh, no, Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre. Oh, yeah, I was going to say St. Pierre. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, George St. Pierre. I mean, George St. Pierre didn't come to my mind, but I'll put him first. You, yeah. What about boxer? Who are your Mount Rushmore, Mount Rushmore boxers? Mike Tyson. <laughs> Mike. Mike Tyson. Sure. Did you always like boxing? Yeah, growing up. I mean, I couldn't watch boxing, but uh, we never had TV. Right. But, yeah, I always liked boxing. How, how did you know, how did you learn about American fighters or fighters when you didn't have... I didn't know much about American fighters. Uh, I know much about... I know more about actors than I know about fighters. Oh, you okay. But Mike Tyson uh, was the one that was going, mm -hmm. you know, like... He was v v globally famous, so everybody everywhere know Mike Tyson. Basically, after their fight, uh, after his fight against Holyfield, mm -hmm. that was like... He's the most famous fight. Was your journey and everything that you had to endure from the time you were a child and going from Nigeria to Niger to Algeria to Morocco to the Mediterranean to Sub-Sahara, was that the main reason that you're unafraid to take on any challenge? You didn't fight professional box, and now you say, you know what? I think I can beat Tyson Fury. You know what? I was the king in the UFC. I was the baddest man on the planet. I'm the heavyweight champion of UFC. You know what? I'm going to go conquer another sport. Was that upbringing is what gave you the confidence? Uh, definitely. But uh, I think it's also a mindset that uh, without our upbringing, we should have. In my case, uh, I need to go there to have that. Uh, I need to have that upbringing, to have that mindset. But at the end of the day, uh, it's something that some people have, which is the right way. I mean, we are all in the 
we are all competitive. Mm-hmm. You know, we are all here. Everybody here want to accomplish something. Mm-hmm. The guy behind the camera want to make the best piece of content. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy behind the, the tech, en- the uh, sound engineer want to have the, make the best sound. Mm-hmm. You know, like everybody want to do something. So. You do your best, you do whatever it takes. And for us, uh, almost every time, you have to try multiple times to make it. You're gonna fail, you're gonna try and uh, get wrong and get back, go back, figure it out again, try again. It's just the same concept for everyone. You know, nobody nobody just wake up and make it like this. Usually like when you see people that things has been very easy for them, it's cool, but when those people fall, they never, most of the, most of the time, they never come back because they, ne- they don't know this hardship. They wasn't like trained, prepared for the reality. Do you feel you can c- accomplish anything? Everything that I want, yes, I believe that. I might not, but I would, I do believe that because otherwise I will not go. If I believe in something, I'm going to make it. I'm not just going to like, okay, let's just go. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to give my all. And at the end of the day, um, the most important thing for me is not to conquer stuff, is not to succeed, is to give my all, whatever I can possibly do, you know. If the result is not what I wanted, but I, I will check with myself, I'm like, is it, did you give your all? Do you do everything that you should have done? And if the answer is yes, well, it happens. It's just life, I move on, you know, it's an experience. As I'm looking at you, you don't have weight room muscles. You have child, you have labor muscles. You developed this body from a child in the sand mines, walking, doing other things. Is that where you feel your power comes from? No, it's genuine. Uh, for in my family, is. Oh, your family built like this, huh? No, they are not all built like this. I mean, like, uh, I think I'm just built, uh, I'm just a little different physically mm-hmm. because even my brother, even people from my uh, uh, community, community, I mean, they are strong people, but they are not as big as me. Yeah. I'm the biggest uh, in my family. I'm the potentially stronger, but my family is so strong. Right. They are so very strong. And we, we is this reputation of, we have a reputation of a strong family. Right. Even before I was born, my, my dad, my uncles, they were but they all worked in the sand mine, right? No. They didn't? No, my dad was a carpenter. It was a what? Carpenter. Cal- carpenter, okay. Carpenter. Mm-hmm. So he make roof mm-hmm. the house. So that was his upbringing. Um, a lot of them work, everybody basically work in the farm. Mm-hmm. But again, even amongst all those people, my family was... was known for like being very strong <laughs> even my grandpa uh i mean i i know him i i was born he was already he was already old mm-hmm. but he's been known as like one of the guy yeah <laughs> would you want your story story turned into a movie absolutely that would be a movie but i just think it's not the moment yet it's not the moment they because you feel lot. you have other things to accomplish? There's a lot of things that is coming. There's a lot of chapters that is missing, are missing. You said you knew more American actors than boxers. So if someone were to portray you in your life story, who would you like for it to be? Uh, 
I've been asked that question before, and so far I think the best profile that I would think of would be somebody like um, Idris Elba. You got to put him on stilts. You so you so tall. He's tall. Yeah, I can see that. He can definitely. He could. He, he might be the only. He might be the only one that could play you. Yeah. He might he's be the only tall. one that could play you. Yeah. I think you see. I think you went for the. I think you went for the guy with the accent. Everybody, you went for the handsome guy. Like who? No, that's who you went for. Idris Elba. But I. I but honestly, I mean, I mean the guy with the accent. What would that? I'm who are you thinking of? I don't think. I don't think. I, the only guy, and he's deceased, but he's not big enough. Would be Chadwick Boseman. Hmm. Because of his. Because he. Because yeah. that Black Panther accent. Yeah. He had. I mean it. He right. could, he's an he's a acting accent. Yeah, but I'm but I'm saying yeah. it's not like I mean he's gonna have to act. He's gonna have to do that accent. He's gonna have to hang around you and pick up your dialect. That's what they do when they take on the role. I mean, I gotta I gotta be around you and pick up your mannerisms and pick up your your the way you talk, how you would say it, or mm -hmm. it's not gonna be authentic. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of like when you like when you're boxing, you had to be around a box. You had to get somebody to actually know the okay, the combination, the the shots, and you know how you cut the ring off and how you retreat and make sure you don't go straight back and you move to the side. I think acting is a little different, but still. you think it's you want to do it? You want to try acting? Maybe. I think when I'm retired, it takes a lot of time, though. Oh, it does. Yeah. It does. Everything takes a lot of time. Takes a lot of time. I've seen people like uh, they go for a movie for like four months, mm -hmm. and at this point of time, you don't have that kind of time. I don't have that kind. Well, of the, time. the four months is you getting ready yeah, to but begin. This is my main job. Yeah, this is my main job for right. now. Millions of people are going to watch this. What was something you would like the kids that watch this to take from your story? <sighs> I don't know. I dream, sometime, hope, I think, never give up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, those general speech of motivation, like determination, self-believing, right? But sometimes I think about like uh, my kids, like, okay, I'll have kids that will grow up and then I just think of their life, how they, they will grow up. And I, I just find out that it's sad, I mean, I did all this for like have give my family a better situation, right? But I still think that it's gonna be sad that my kid will not never understand my story, right. you know, because they will just be in a situation that their problem will be none of like what what you had to go what through. What we had to go through, like okay, what should we eat today, like <laughs> stuff like that. Like could we have soap or could it, should I could I have pen to go to school mm -hmm. on Monday, stuff like that? They will never understand. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. Some people still right. do very good. But, yeah, I think, like, um, I think self-believing is, like, the key. You know, we talk about, like, uh, faith, hope, and everything. But a man that believes in him, I think, is a man that is half succeed. I wanted to ask you this, and I forgot to. <clears throat> Your favorite food as a child growing up, and do you still eat that food now? Growing up, 
I think every food was my favorite <laughs> because we didn't have. <laughs> I don't rem- I don't recall a day that I see a friend up. I don't like this. Every meal was the favorite one. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, when, so uh, is there a place in Vegas that you can go get some of your Cameroonian dishes, no, or do you re- have to wait till you get back home? No, really, mostly in the uh, East Coast. Okay, yeah, like yeah, New York and yeah, yeah, yeah uh, Washington, yeah. Baltimore. Uh, there's a lot of African community. So, so what's I think a, even in Texas, uh, you will find those. What's a typ- typical Cameroon dish? Oh, there's a lot, man. You will find, like, there is this, the very famous one is Ndole. We call it Ndole. I know you're going to ask what is that. Yeah, yeah, I want to know it. Okay. It's kind of like a uh, leaf, kind of like a spinach uh-huh. uh, with the uh, ground peanut, you know, they put all the spice in it. Hard what to are explain. Huh? Ain't no meat in it? They put meat in it. What kind of meat? You can put whatever you want. I mean, so in, 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 in Cameroon, what did you get? Like goat, chicken? I mean, what did you put it? Everything. We get uh, I mean, usually they don't put chicken in dollar. They will put more like beef. Beef. Uh, uh, smoke, smoke fish. Okay. Uh, I mean, not smoke, dry fish. Dry fish. And then even like a dry, uh, we have this little uh, scream, uh, shrimp. Mm-hmm that are so little and they are dry, is very favorite. So, so if I, if so next time I come across a, a Cameroon. And uh, our best breakfast is beignariko. What's that? It's like peanut. It's, no, it's like donut. It's like donut, uh, our version of donut uh-huh. uh, with, um, with beans, uh-huh. fried beans, mm-hmm. and uh, with uh, pap. <laughs> I know you don't know. <laughs> I bet it's only I might, I might be willing to try the but, other dish, but yeah, okay. they got to have so, some so good. Now, now that you're asking me about like food, yeah. my favorite Cameroonian food, what is American food? Uh, because I walk around, I will see Chinese, yes. Chinese restaurant. Uh, well, that's Jap- kind of not, uh, not like America. Japanese American. restaurant. Well, we do, I will see Indian restaurant, Mexican. We, we more like, the, what is we do, Ameri- we, I, I never see American restaurant. Barbecue. It all depends. You I'm curious that the food everybody. No, 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 no. Like rib, like ribs, chicken. Now, no, if no, you no. Down you south, said ribs. Ribs yeah. is not the food. Everybody, rib is not the dish. Oh, you talking about a dish? Okay, dish. Where, where, where are you? Are you in the south? If you're in the south, we got dishes. We have like mac and cheese or we have. Mac had, and cheese is not a dish. It is a dish, Francis. What you think it is? I don't know, bro. What you, what you talking about a dish? <laughs> it's a dish. Yes, it's, it is a dish. Chicken and waffle. Chicken and waffle. Pancakes. You don't see. You don't got Americanized. You don't got Americanized now. You talk about chicken and waffle. You talk about going to like Roscoe's or Gladys Knight or somebody. No, but those are those are dishes. I mean, like, so when you say like when you say like dole, that's a staple of like Cameroon. Cause uh uh, uh I had uh, uh Kamara on and he was saying like fafala and he was like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was like he was trying to, he was explaining to him. I had Michael Blackson on. He was trying to, like, fufu. Yeah. Y'all eat fufu? We have fufu. Ours, ours is a little different. Okay. So, like, uh, if you go in Africa, yeah. every country has, like, its own special. Yeah, okay. That they put their own spin on it. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, when I send when you send dollar, everybody knows that it is Cameroon. Okay. It's like saying sushi, and they will attach sushi to, to Japan. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
So, so, so when can we expect to see Francis Ngannou back in the ring, the square or the octagon? Uh, definitely next year. When exactly next year? Uh, potentially, not sure. Potentially March or, March or April. And certainly October. Francis Ngannou. Thank you. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Yeah. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.